John chapter 15, uh, verses 1 through 11. John 15, 1 through 11. I'm going to read that, and then we'll pray, and we'll get started. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Father in heaven, thank you for being our vine, for being our source and our supply and our life and our our ability to produce the fruit of the Spirit. Father, help us to abide, to remain, to keep on in the things of Christ, to receive from you, to believe, uh, to obey, to love what you love. God, put your heart in us. Put put the, the character of Christ in us this morning. Father, make us like yourself. Make us fruit bearers. Father, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so this is uh, another one of Jesus' I am statements. We've been through several of these. The last one was in John 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. But we had uh, been through several before this. I'm the light of the world. I'm the good shepherd. Um, so there, there's a bunch of these I am. I'm the resurrection and the life in, in, in the gospel of John. And so this is another I am the vine, another kind of revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, if you've read the Bible as a whole, you've probably picked up that there's actually a bunch of vineyard imagery in the Bible. Um, but until this point, it's all mostly all referred to Israel. Okay, so I'll, I'll give an example of that. One of, one of the famous passages is in Isaiah 5, where, where God talks about Israel as a vineyard, and he talks about how he's, he's dug around, he's put it on a fertile hill, he's fertilized, he's put up stones, he's put up a wall, he's, he, he's put up a watchtower, he's done all of these things uh, for his vineyard. And then in, in uh, Isaiah 5, verse 4, it says, What more was there to do for my vineyard? that I have not done in it. When I looked for it to yield grapes, why did it yield wild grapes? And so that, that's sort of the, the, the general theme on the rest of the vineyard passages is that Israel was Christ or God's vineyard and God did everything he could. He gave him the promises, he gave him the covenant, he gave him the prophets, he gave him the word of God, he, you know, miracles and deliverance and protection and a land and, a, and he, he did all of this for the vineyard and yet Israel did not produce the fruit that God had, had, had desired, okay? And so put that into context into John 15. Now, Jesus steps up and says, I'm the true vine. 
right? Like, like the, the Israel could never do what Jesus can do. Being connected to Israel could never give you the, the, the power to bear fruit like being connected to Jesus, okay? Now, actually, these are, they, these are really um, all through the I am statement. So, so for instance, uh, if you remember the I am the, the bread of life one, okay? So right before that passage, uh, the, the people are like, hey, give us the manna from heaven. You know, Moses gave us manna from heaven. Why don't you give us manna from heaven? And, and remember what Jesus said? I am the living bread. He's like, you know what? That manna, they ate it for 40 years and they died. But Jesus is like, I'm the true manna. I'm the bread from heaven. You partake of me and you're going to live, right? Or, or even the good shepherd. The good shepherd has some of that where, where Jesus says, you know, there were other shepherds. Actually, when we, when we preached on that passage, the second sermon I did was on Ezekiel of the bad shepherds of Israel. And even in John 10, Jesus talks about the hireling who doesn't really care about the sheep. And as soon as the wolf comes, he runs away. And then he says, but I'm the good shepherd. Are you getting that? So Jesus is comparing himself, you know, that like, there was a vine, Israel, but I'm the, I'm the true vine. There, there was a shepherd. You know, there were shepherds, spiritual leaders. I'm the good shepherd. You know, there was manna from heaven, but I'm the living bread, okay? So Jesus is describing his all-sufficiency in what we need for salvation and the Christian life, all right? So Jesus is the true vine. We are the branches, okay? People, branches are people that are in, and I'm going to be real careful how I say this, and you'll, you'll see why in a minute that are in some way attached to Jesus, okay? Now, now that, that's gonna be important. In some way attached to Jesus, okay? So branches, um, you know this about a branch. A branch is worthless unless it bears fruit. A branch cannot bear fruit on its own. It has to be attached to the vine. Um, I don't have a vineyard, but I have trees in my yard, and um, they're those kind of trees that shed their branches often, right? Branches fall off, we get a big windstorm, I've got them all over, I, I kind of pick them up continually. Well, many, many times they're dead already, you know, they were dead on the tree, and, they, and so the wind, you know, snaps it off, they fall on the ground. Well, I, I never pick up one of those, and, and Asher does this, however, uh, put it in the ground, you know, and, and then expect hey, there's going to be a tree. You know? No, it, it doesn't work that way, right? Like there's nothing going to come from that branch. It is separated from its life source. And so it cannot bear fruit. Just like, just like the picture of the body. You know, if you, you cut off your finger, man, you can save it. You can put it in a box. You can wrap it up. You can freeze it. I don't know, whatever. But it, it isn't going to work, right? Like it, it is separated. It, it's cut off from its life source. And so one of the big theological pictures in John 15 is this doctrine of union with Jesus Christ. All right? We are vitally dependent upon our union, our connection to Jesus Christ to produce the fruit of the Spirit, to produce the life of, of Christ in us, uh, for the gospel to work itself out in us. We have to be joined to Jesus Christ. We find this doctrine of union everywhere in the Bible. Let me read you a couple passages that I, I'm, I'm really partial to. Romans 6 4 says, um, or 6 3, let's do 6 3. Do you not know that all of us who've been baptized into Christ Jesus, see, there's the union, into Christ Jesus, we're baptized into his death. We were therefore buried with him. This is verse four. With him, with him in baptism by death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we might walk in newness of life. And, and so it's this union to Christ. We're baptized into Christ. We are, are buried with Christ. We raise with Jesus. Another great one is Ephesians chapter two. Um, Ephesians chapter two, verse five and six talks about how we were dead in our trespasses and sins. And then in verse five, it says, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. Do you see that, guys? Together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved and raised us up with him 
and seated us with him in the heavenly places. And, and, and I guess what I'm showing you is that this is all over the New Testament, all right? The, the way in which you are saved is not for your exceptional behavior. None of you have exceptional behavior, okay? You can hide your bad behavior, and you may be good or worse at that, but we are not saved. We, no man can be saved by the works of the law. Salvation is not a payment that you earn. It's not your name in a book. It's not a number or percentage of good deeds that you've accomplished. It's not that your good deeds outweigh your bad deeds. None of that saves you. The only way that you can be saved is by union to Jesus Christ, by being joined to Jesus in a faith relationship by being tethered to the resurrected Christ. Without that living connection, you have no hope of salvation, no hope of being right with God. Just like a branch that is separated from the vine, separated from the tree, has no hope to produce anything because it's separated from its life source. Okay, so Jesus is the vine. We are the branches. And now God is the vine dresser, okay? So in verse one, it says, I'm the vine and my father is the vine dresser. The vine dresser is the gardener. He's the one who's taking care of the vine and the branches. And in this text, God the father does two specific things. He takes away fruitless branches and he prunes fruitful branches so that they may bear more fruit, okay? Let's talk about the first one and then we'll talk about the second one. Okay, so the first one is God the Father takes away branches, um, branches that, 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 that are not alive, okay? So in, in, in verse one, it says, I'm the vine, my father is a vine breaster. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Now go down to verse um, seven, no, 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 six. If anyone does not abide in me, is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. Almost universally, whenever I study this passage with anybody, uh, it was true last night. Uh, we had supper. I opened up John 15. I read this to my family. I said, okay, what do you, what do you think? What are your questions? What, what do you see? What do you like? And, and one of the first questions I got from my kids was, it says, they said, dad, it sounds like he's saying, you know, if you, if you, don't, if you don't measure up, you know, if you don't, if you don't keep on abiding, if, you don't, if, you, you know, if, you, if your performance is not so much, God's going to lop you off and throw you into the fire. Does that mean you can lose your salvation? I do not believe that at all. Okay. Now let me, let me, let me, let me show you why. Number one, the context. Okay. What just happened? What just happened? Okay. I, I, I know we've had a lot of teaching, but, but if you put this in the context, this, this, these are, these are within hours of each other. Okay. In John 13, they're having the, the last supper, they're getting ready for the last supper. Right. And they and they have the last supper together. And Jesus says, one of you will betray me. Right. And, and John leans over and which one, John? You know, the, the one that dips his bread, Judas dips his bread. Jesus says, what you going to do? Go do. Judas gets up from the table and goes and betrays Jesus. One of the disciples just left. Okay. And now in John 15, Jesus is saying, my father's a vine dresser and every branch doesn't bear fruit. He lops off. Who is That's Judas. Right. I mean, we have a living example of this right here in the text. Okay. Now, was Judas a true believer? He was not. See, the Bible is really clear about that. Um, Ju Judas was not. If you go back to John 6, I, I can just show you that. John 6, 64 and 65. Um, my reading glasses are somewhere between here and Stillwater, okay? So we're going to, you may see me like doing that number here. Okay, hold on. Um, but there, okay, 64. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. 
And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to the Father unless it is granted him. So Jesus wasn't, he wasn't with them from the beginning, all right? Now, for it to be, for John to be saying here, or Jesus to be saying here in John 15 that you can, you can lose your salvation would absolutely betray what he had already talked about so clearly previously. So some examples, John 10, 27. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Verse 28, I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my Father's hand, out of my hand. Um, my Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. Um, let me take you back to John 6, John 6, 37. Um, all that the Father, has, Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. For I've come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of, who, of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing. He's talking about people. Nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. Um, clearly in John, once Jesus has you, he has you forever, okay? So what is this lopping off of branches, okay? Now, remember, at the beginning, I told you, branches are people who have some kind of attachment to Christ, Okay, now let's think about this subject from, from a, a, a New Testament perspective as a whole, okay? Is there evidence in the New Testament that there are times where people have some kind of attachment to Christ, some kind of attachment to the people, but it's not real? Absolutely, everywhere. James 2, what does James 2 say? You know, there, there's a kind of faith that has no works that is a dead faith. It's not saving, right? Um, Matthew 7 21 through 23, you remember that? Where uh, Jesus says, you know, there'll be someone on the judgment day, Lord, Lord, didn't we do miracles? Didn't we, you know, do this, do that, do you know? And he's gonna say, I never knew you. Obviously, those people had some kind of attachment to Christianity, right? But Jesus says, I never knew you. You were never one of me. You were never in. First um, John 2, 19. Here's uh, one of the, the clearest verses in the Bible about this. First John 2, 19, uh, John is describing people who have been lopped off, who have left, okay? And he says, they went out from us, but they were not of us. If they had been of us, they would have continued with us. They would have remained. They would have abided. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. Uh, again, like uh, there's just so many examples that I could almost say the whole New Testament. Um, the parables, okay? How about the parable of the soils? Uh, remember that? The, there's, there's different kinds of soil, right? There's the, 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 the hard pack, there's a highway, the, the, the road, and then there's the rocky, there's the weedy, and then there's the good soil. Remember the rocky and the weedy? They, they, they both come up, right? Like the, the word of God goes there, and, and, and there's this immediate kind of recept, some sort of reception, some sort of attachment to Christianity. But what happens? Well, in the one case, it's so shallow that it cannot endure. Uh, it, it, when, when the sun comes up, when adversity comes, when persecution comes, it withers away. In the other case, it, 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 they haven't turned away. They've just added. It's like that guy I played on the video uh, from Nepal a couple, couple weeks ago. You know, He's like, oh, yeah, uh, Hinduism, I got it. Buddhism, I got it. Hey, dude, I got Christianity too. Okay, that's not soil you can grow the gospel in, right? And so even though he was saying on that video, you heard him, man, I'm in. I believe the Bible. He did not. Right? And, 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 and so Jesus is describing that. He's describing these kinds of people. Um, other examples, John 8. In John 8, uh, Jesus described this in verse 30. Um, 
Uh, he, he gets done with his teaching, and it says, as he was saying these things, uh, many believed in him. And then look at verse 31. Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide, if you remain, if you stay, if you stick in my word, you are truly my disciples. And then just a few verses later in verse 37, he says, I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. He's talking to the same group of people. So, I absolutely do not think Jesus is talking about believers who don't get their act together and God severs them from Jesus and throws them into hell. I don't believe that. Um, in fact, I, I really don't even think that's the thrust of the passage, okay? Um, hell may be implied here. You know, in verse 6 where it talks about the branches being thrown into fire and burned, that's definitely a biblical image for hell. Uh, I, I, don't, I, I agree with that. Um, those who don't live a, a life... A life of Christ, you are not joined to Christ. Absolutely, they perish in hell. But I, I wonder if really John has a different thing in mind here. I, I, I wonder if, if in verse six, thrown in the fire and burned, is just an image for useless, like not fruitful, like you didn't bear anything with your life. Okay, see, the reason I think that is they would have had that image in their mind, right? Like, like these branches that aren't gonna do anything, you don't just leave them, right? You, you get them out of there. You get them off the plant. You get them, you, you, you trim them off. They're, they're taken away from the vine and you, and you get them and, and you can't do anything with them. So you burn them. I have no experience with vineyards at all. I'm from Western Kansas. So what do I have experience with? Tumbleweeds. Okay. Um, every year, man, they just, they come across the plains, you know? I mean, we lived out in the 12 miles from town, middle of nothing around us, no tree, no, you know? And so they, tumbleweeds would gather in our machine row, underneath our trucks, uh, by our pole barn, in the corners. And, and, and once a year, my dad would start a fire in the middle of the driveway. And then the whole family was kind of a family project. It was our, it was our family time together. This was, this was our family time. Uh, we'd burn tumbleweeds. We would get pitchforks and we'd go gather all the tumbleweeds up and we'd burn them. Why? Because they don't do anything. I mean, they're useless. They're, they're a nuisance. They, 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 I, I actually think that's the, the thrust of what John 15 is about, is if you're not abiding in Jesus, your life is not doing anything significant. It, it, you're not doing anything useful. I actually think that's the thrust of the passage. And so, the Father trims off the, the dead branches, the branches that don't bear fruit. And then what else does he do? Well, he prunes or cultivates the branches that are abiding. Okay, now we've got to talk about abiding. This is the most important word in the whole passage, right? As you read through this, um, you see this is the command to you, right? Abide in me, verse four, abide in me and I in you. Now, the branch cannot bear fruit unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. All right, so this is a very important word, Okay. Um, again, this is not earning your salvation. Uh, verse three says you're already clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. Um, this is about us drawing from the life of Jesus. Okay. Now, what, what does the word abide mean? Um, what means to remain, to stay, uh, to live, to dwell? I always think of our word abode, you know, it's to dwell in, it's to stay in, it's to live in. I, best, best definition. I went through a bunch of Greek lexicons and just read all the definitions. And the best one that I got, I thought, man, that had to be written by an Oklahoman. This is the best one that I got. I don't think so because of the title. It was like biblical, encyclopedia of biblical language and, and their domains. I don't know. It was some kind of academic thing. But anyway, here was, here was one of the definitions. Keep on. Huh? Yeah? That's good, isn't it? Keep on. All right? So, so, so John is saying... You need to keep on with Jesus. You need to keep on in Jesus. 
Remain, stay, abide, live, dwell. Let me give you some guys I read. Warren Wearsby says to keep in fellowship with Christ so that his life can work in and through us to produce fruit. So Wearsby saying keep in fellowship with Christ, okay? Um, MacArthur, maintaining an unbroken communion with Jesus Christ. So he used the word communion. So, so keep on with this communion. Ray Stedman, here's, here's my favorite. Decide to do things that expose yourself to Jesus and keep yourself in contact with him. I, I, I like his, okay? I, I like that idea of decide. So abide is, man, I'm, I'm making choices to expose myself continually to the word. I'm making choices to, to live in Christ-centered relationships where people are gonna be speaking the word into my life and, and I'm gonna be accountable and we're gonna be having conversations about the word and there's gonna be scriptural encouragement. Abiding is, here's my definition, okay? Which, always listen to the other guys probably before me, okay? But mine is receiving what Christ is giving. Okay, and I'm, I'm just getting that from the whole vine and branch deal. What, what, is, what is the branch doing? It's receiving life from the vine, right? It's receiving the nutrients. It's receiving the, the, the water, the moisture, the, the life, the sap, okay? It, it is receiving it. Okay, and so in my mind, keep on coming to the word. Keep on meditating on God's word. Keep on practically striving to follow Jesus. Keep on coming to him in prayer. Keep on coming to other believers, it is, it is sharing in the love and joy and truth of Christ. It's receiving more and more of Jesus so that there will be less and less of Jason. That, that's, that's what it is. It, it's drawing that life, okay? So, so if, if, if we're going with that definition, okay? So if abiding, keeping on in Christ, if that is receiving what Christ is giving. So what is he, what is he giving? Now, that's a big question. I know, life, okay? But specifically, what is he giving? Well, man, I... I the thing would be his word, all right? Now, look at verse seven. I think this is evidence of that. If you abide in me, and then he almost assumes you're going to here, right? And he says, and my words abide in you. So he turns it around. If my words keep on in you, they, they don't just bounce off. Remember the parable of the, 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 the soils? They don't just bounce off. They don't just get stuck in the weeds. They actually, his word, his truth, keeps on in you. It dwells in you. It lives in you. It abides in you. Then you're going to bear fruit. Okay, so what, what is Christ giving? He's giving you truth. And so what does it mean to abide? What does it mean to receive Christ's truth? Well, it means to believe it, first of all. Okay, to believe it and then to embrace it and to make it your own and to delight in it and to love it. Okay, do you see what I'm saying? Like, grab his truth, believe it, receive it, abide let it live in you. Meditate upon it. I don't know if I can find it, especially because I'm blind. But there's this, I just thought of this. There's this great verse in, it's, at the, it's in Luke and it's at the end of the temptation narrative. Does that work? Can you wear another man's glasses? Wow. Makes me want to go hunting all of a sudden and <laughs> kill things and take their skin. Luke 8, verse 15. Okay, he says, as for that in the good soil. So he's talking about the good soil. He says that, that they are those who hearing the word, okay, listen, hold it fast in an honest and good heart 
and bear fruit with patience. Did you hear that? Like that, that's what he's, that's what, that's, that's abiding. You got, you, you're going to hold it fast. Okay, so, so you, you hear his truth and then you, you, you got to hold it in there. You got to hold it in there because you're distracted and because you, you know, this is why doing your Bible reading, just trying to get through it is probably not the best plan. Does that make sense? Like, like if your Bible reading is always just like, okay, I got to read a chapter so I can say I read it, you know, and check that box and go to heaven someday. That's bad theology. But it's also bad Bible reading, right? Like, like the way we ought to read the Bible is we ought to, read, we ought to embrace, believe. Okay, I'm going to believe what he just said. I'm going to believe what Jesus just said. I'm going to believe what he said about marriage. I'm going to believe what he said about kids. I'm going to believe what he said about money. I'm going to believe what he said about anger. I'm going to believe what he said about forgiveness. And I'm going to hold it. I'm going to hold it inside of me and let it, let it do its thing in me. What's, what's Jesus giving you? His promises. What's he giving you? His mission. What's he giving you? The church. So what are you going to do? You're going to believe his promises. And you're going to hold them fast. You're going you're to rejoice over them. I, I think that's a big part of abiding. Yeah, I'll prove that to you here in a little bit. Is grab on to his truth, his promises, and love it. Like they're good. Like rejoice over them. Grab on to his mission. And, and embrace it and love it. And then act upon it, okay? About keep on, keep on. Okay, now for what first appears to be bad news, but hopefully I can convince you it's good news, okay? As we abide, the Father's gonna prune, okay? Now I know what you're thinking. Man, I'm gonna abide so good that he's not gonna have to prune. No, no, actually, actually you have to be pruned. Like that, that's gonna happen, Okay? Um, he's got he's to cut away the dead wood. He's got to cut away the disease stuff. He's got to trim away the stuff that just should not be in your life. Like it's, it's infecting you. Sin. Like he's, he's got to trim that away. He's got to convict you of that. He's got, sometimes he has to put hard things in your life in order for you to convince you that you got to get away from that. But then he's also going to trim away stuff that may be fine it's just taking too much life, right? You guys know if you got something that's overgrown, you know, especially a fruit-bearing plant, if it's just completely overgrown, what you end up with is Asher somehow. Okay, so what Asher did a couple years ago was he, uh, uh, Emma, he loves pumpkins. I don't know if you knew that. Loves them. You know, he, you know we got them all over. We had them in the house. We had a stack of them in the house uh, before um, Halloween. And, and he loves them, but at some point they get bad. He took them in the backyard. And then what do you think Asher would do with a bunch of pine? I mean, just, just imagine in your mind, what would that little boy do? He would smash them with a sledgehammer. You know, he just sticks, everything. So he smashed them. Well, what happened the next year? Dude, we had a pumpkin crop. We had, we had pumpkins everywhere, okay? And it was, it was really cool for a while because, I mean, literally this thing was huge. It took up half our backyard and it had all these little pumpkins on it. Well, we, we never pruned. And, and, you know, first of all, like, why are they even there? But anyway, you know, let them go because it was kind of fun. None of them produced. Like, they all got to a certain size, just got rotten. There just wasn't, there wasn't enough juice to actually produce something. Some of your lives look exactly like that. Like, you got, you, you got yourself spread all over, and you, you're giving yourself the whole bunch of, and it, it may be fine stuff. But your life's so dissipated, you're not, you're not pouring it into the actual things that really matter. And so sometimes Jesus 
God's going to have to prune that. Right? Because you've got to learn the valuable lesson that apart from him, you can do nothing. You cannot produce fruit on your own. You cannot produce fruit by trying real hard. You cannot produce fruit with goals and resolves and steps and success. It's only through dependence upon and abiding in Jesus. So you gotta, you gotta realize that his pruning is gonna be to bring you back to, I need Jesus. I, I need him. Like, his pruning is always gonna lead you back to that. And you gotta realize that God is predominantly concerned with your fruitfulness. Like that may not be your number one priority. Like that may be a, Sticky thing this morning. You may be like, hey, God, I want, I, want a, I want a comfortable life. I want an easy life. That's what I really want. God, I want all my ducks in a row. Can you help me with that? And often God will say, no, I cannot help you with that. I will not help you with that. Because that's actually taking away from the usefulness of your life. Hebrews chapter 12. There's this uh, good passage. Verse 7. It's for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you're left without discipline in which all have, been, all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we've had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as seemed, good, as seemed best to them. He disciplines for us, us for our good that we may share in his holiness. Did you hear that? He disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. Like that's, what, that's what he's concerned with. Let me give you some examples, I, I think, of pruning, okay, uh, from the scriptures. So 2 Corinthians 12, right? So Paul um, has, has had all these visions and revelations, and um, God has revealed all this incredible stuff to him, and, and he gets a thorn in the flesh. He really struggles with that thorn in the flesh. And in verse 7, he realizes, he says, the thorn was given me to keep me from becoming conceited. And so, so, see, Paul is realizing the pruning of God. He's saying, man, I, I have this thorn because I, I was really in danger of becoming conceited, and pride, conceit, was actually going to be a worse thing for me than the thorn. Like the thorn, he comes around to saying, thank you, God, for the thorn. Like, man, I, thank you for my weakness, because what happened in his weakness? He became strong because he, it drove him to dependence on Christ. Another example, these are all Paul. Uh, this is one of my favorite passages, 2 Timothy 4. Where, where he talks about his trial, and he says at, at verse 16, he says, At my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. I want to pause there, because I, I think when things like that happen to us, what do we say? We say, man, my small group's a bunch of losers, right? Like, like, that, that's, like that's our application, right? Like, man, nobody was there for me, all a bunch of losers. I got to go find some better friends, you know? That, like, that's usually our application, man. I, I, I love how Paul thinks. Like, like he's, he's always thinking in terms of, of God working in his life for his own holiness. And, and so he didn't go there. Here, here's what he says. He says, in my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. The Lord stood by me. What, what happened to Paul? Man, he, no one was there. So, man, he had to just depend on the Lord. The Lord stood by me and strengthened me so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. I was rescued from the lion's mouth and the Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into the heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. I mean, he breaks into this song of praise because all his friends deserted him. Why? Do you see how he sees that? And he's not mad at him. He's like, come see me. That's the whole point of chapter four if you read it. I, he believed in the pruning of God. One more. Second Corinthians 1. These are just all different kind of instances in Paul's life. 
He says, I don't want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Pause. Have you ever been there? Like so crushed by severe circumstances that you just didn't want to live anymore. I want you to see that. That's the Apostle Paul. He said, man, that's where we were. Keep reading, though. Verse 9, indeed, we felt that we had, we had received the sentence of death, but this is a great line, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. And he delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us, and on him we've set our hope that he will deliver us again. Man, Father's pruning, Right? Paul's getting like us, like he's starting to be like, hey, I can handle this. I can do this on my own. God brings him back. Man, you need me, Paul. Paul said, we relied on him. And what was the fruit of that? He says, man, we are so confident about the future. Like we've got, our hope has been raised because we've seen that God is faithful. I think that's pruning. I think I've given examples of, of times where I think pruning happens through, through struggles, suffering, difficulties, struggle, all those things. But, but at some point, pruning always comes back to the word, okay? Because he's, he's always going to use the word. This, John 15 is word-centric, okay? So let me give you some examples of that, all right? Um, well, first of all, even in John 15, already you're clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. Verse 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you. Okay, but let me give you one from the Old Testament. Psalm 11967. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. Isn't that an interesting little meditate on that? Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. Verse 71, similar verse, same, same chapter, Psalm 119. It's good for me that I was afflicted, that I may learn your statutes. What is he saying there? He's saying, you know what affliction did? It drove me to the word. It drove me to keep your word. One more. Psalm 1. Um, this one doesn't really talk about affliction. It just talks about how, how the word brings us to abide. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of the sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. I, I would say verse one is like, like he, he's pruned away from the counsel of the wicked, the way of sinners, the seat of scoffers. Okay, now verse two, but his delight's in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. All right, so he is, when you're meditating day and night, what are you doing? You're keeping on, aren't you? You, you, keep, you keep coming. Keep coming back to the word, come back to the word, come back to the word, come back to the word. Okay, what, what, what happens there? Verse three, he's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields, what? It's fruit in its season. His leaf does not wither and all that he does, he prospers. Now, I think that's exactly what Jesus is talking about. And so folks, we, Christ's word must abide in us that we might bear fruit. Look at verse 2, 5, and 8 of John 15. He goes from no fruit to more fruit to much fruit. Okay, that is God's plan for you. His plan for you is life transformation. You should want that. You should leave here today saying, the thing I want most for Christmas is not a new bow. It's not a new rifle. Yeah, I want fruitfulness. That's what I want for Christmas. I, why, why would we want that most? Because 
Jesus is the first and best of beings. He's glorious. He's, he's infinitely joyful. He's the most winsome, loving, generous, encouraging, comforting, pleasant, fierce, just, awesome person in all of time. And God wants to put his character in you. Like you should want that. Sin always brings misery. And God wants to prune that out of your life and to make you fruitful. What is this fruit? Don't, don't put these up. Nancy, it's too, it's too fast. Romans 1.13, win converts. 1 Corinthians 16.15, new believers. John 4, a harvest. Uh, Romans 15, giving. Um, Hebrews 13, praise and worship. But here's the one you need to center on, Galatians 5. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Okay, God wants to put that character in you. Now, Go, go to verse 11 and 12. Let, let's finish up by, by looking at um, kind of how this works itself out. Okay, so in verse 11, he says, um, oh, no, 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 back up to 9. The Father has loved me, so, I have, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. Okay, keep on in my love. If you keep my commandments... You will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I've spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Now, here's what I want you to see from that, okay? If you go back and read that, I know we don't have a whole lot of time here, but what's he saying? He said, the Father has love, and I'm abiding in his love so that I might have his love. Jesus is saying, Jesus has joy, and I'm abiding in his joy so that I might have his joy. All right? Do you see how this is working? Like, like, it's this interaction with, with God. And, and so you're coming to God and you're believing and receiving his love and, and you're, you're seeing how he loves and you're seeing how he loves you and you're seeing how he loves Jesus and you're seeing, you know, the love of the Father and, and, and you're, you're believing that and you're receiving that and you're imitating that and you're, you're, you're enjoying that and you're, you're pretty, pretty much, pretty soon, God's love is inside of you. The same with joy, right? You're, you're seeing the joy of God. You're seeing the joy of Jesus. You're believing the joy. You're believing the reasons for joy. You're believing the, the hope of joy. And, and you're abiding in that joy. And pretty much, pretty soon his joy comes in you. One quick warning. Um, I, I've had people ask me before, okay, pastor, I, I just I struggle with depression. I struggle with despair it, since I was a little kid. I've just been always melancholy. You know, does that mean that I'm not, you know, a Christian or not about it. Listen, be careful. Okay, the happy-go-lucky, easy life, successful at everything golden boy, that kind of happiness, joy is not really, I don't know that that's what he's talking about, okay? Like, like the, I'm just saying there are people in life that are just, I'm sorry, things go better for them, you know? Like they just do. Like they're just easier. I don't know why. Um, I've got a brother that like literally whatever he does, he succeeds at the maximum of it, you know? I mean, just, ah, you know, that's what you feel about those people, right? You know, ah. Okay, I, I'm not, I, I don't think that's the saying they're more spiritual. Does that make sense? Their life just may be better. They may have, you know, more endorphins in their head that fire off. And, you know, you know I mean, it just may be, that's just who they are. I don't know that that's the joy of Jesus, okay? The joy Jesus is talking about is the joy of the Father and the joy of his word, the joy of his truth, the joy of Jesus in, in all things and us participating in that so that we have it even in persecution and even in struggle and even in sickness and even in death. That's the joy he's talking about, all right? So, so maybe, maybe it, you, it's more of a struggle for you. Everybody has their, 
their inclinations one way or another, right? But, but everybody can participate in the joy of Jesus. It can, it can be yours, okay? So practically, get into God's word. Know his love. Know what he thinks. Know what he enjoys. Abide in that. Stick in that. And then finally, prayer. We don't have time for this. I told you we are going to have time for this a couple weeks ago, and then we didn't, and now we don't again. Um, but, sorry. Um, verse 7, if you abide in me, my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, it'll be done for you. All right, th- so there's this great, like, I think part of this abiding is, is prayer, okay? And it's, it's me receiving Jesus' heart and Jesus' character and Jesus' desires and grabbing those and keeping on them and meditating and keeping on and keeping on until that's my heart. And then what am I going to ask for? I'm going to ask for what he wants and he's going to give it. I think the Old Testament version of this is Psalm 37.4. Delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. I think that's the Old Testament version of John 15.7, okay? Like have God's heart. Okay, now conversely, if if your heart is filled with selfish desire, if you've ever read James 4, you know, what's the cause of conflicts? What's the cause of strife? Why do people fight? It's because they, they're selfish, you know? And he says, you, ha- you, you don't have because you don't, you don't ask. And when you ask, you ask wrongly. Spend it on your passions. You know, if that stuff's in your heart, your prayers are not gonna be very effective. I'm not saying don't pray, but I'm saying that they're not gonna be very effective. Psalm 66, 18. So the man who regards iniquity in his heart, the, Lord, the Lord's not gonna hear. And so do you see how abiding in Christ, receiving from him, embracing his truth, making it your own, loving it, delighting in it, sharing it, that actually makes you a very effective prayer asker, okay? Let's pray. Father, I I thank you for the vine. God, thank you that we, we can abide in you, that we can receive your life in us. God, praise your name for that. And God, I I ask you today, God, to to prune away that which causes us to rely and depend on other things, even if those other things are are good, Father, even if they're not sin. But God, we want to be dependent upon you. We want to keep on pursuing and seeking you. So Father, please give us grace with that. Help us with that. In Jesus' name, amen.